You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Yahweh our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did Yahweh make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. Yahweh spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between Yahweh and you at that time, to declare to you the word of Yahweh, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as Yahweh your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words Yahweh spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, Yahweh our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of Yahweh our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have, and has still lived? Go near and hear all that Yahweh our God will say, and speak to us all that Yahweh our God will speak to you, and we will hear and do it. And Yahweh heard your words when you spoke to me, and Yahweh said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, Return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as Yahweh your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, 
You shall walk in all the way that Yahweh your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Welcome back to the Geared Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, who else? Who else would it be? Garrett, Ashley, Mullet. That's my name. First, middle, last name. Welcome back. <laughs> this is episode 652, and also Saturday, and also July 1st, 2023. That was a reading of Deuteronomy chapter 5 with the Ten Commandments. And what am I playing for this intro music? What else? It seemed appropriate to me to play the track, The Ten Commandments, from the movie, The Ten Commandments. The original motion picture starring Charlton Heston. I grew up with that. I thought it was great. It was wonderful. As I've gotten older, of course, I look back and I have more of a clear-eyed view of certain aspects of the portrayal where I say, well, okay, maybe maybe that could have used a little work, right? Maybe they took a little bit of liberty here and there for the sake of making a movie that would sell, that people would show up to and watch and pay to see and enjoy for years to come. But the music is great, right? The music is great. The acting by Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner is fantastic. Yvonne DiCarlo playing Zipporah is uh, beautiful and she does a fine job, her and her sisters, when they are going to draw water for their flocks. And Moses has just made it through the desert and he's all passed out and he wakes up to find these young women being harassed by some other shepherds. And he comes to their defense and he fights off the guys who are hassling these young women. It's great. It's just a great film, even if it's not all straight out of the text. It's a great film. It's a great scene, that one in particular. But then this track is titled The Ten Commandments, if memory serves, because it's what plays at the part in the film where God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And if you're paying close attention, and if you remember our episodes to this point where we've talked through chapters of Deuteronomy 1 through 4, as I've said before, Deuteronomy is a retelling this is Moses doing a recap. And so some of what we're finding here with regards to the Ten Commandments having been given, it seems as though they're out of chronology with the earlier accounts that we read about in the other earlier books of the Pentateuch. This is the fifth of five of the books of Moses, the books of the law, and that's all right. Right? This is a recap. It's a retelling, very similar to how we have a couple of accounts of creation in the first chapters of Genesis. Some people try to seize on the differences and the contrast between those different accounts, and they say, ah, well, see, it's not supposed to be believed as having actually happened because they contradict. And it's like, no, that's not <laughs> the lesson you're supposed to glean any more than when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, all the Gospels of the New Testament canon, you're supposed to say, oh, wait a second, you know, this is, this is not uh, told in the same way in this Gospel as it is in the other Gospel account. And so yeah, I think that they can't be true or they're not supposed to be believed as having actually happened. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Whether it's Genesis or it's the Pentateuch or it's the Gospel accounts in the New Testament, if you come to the text looking for reasons to reject it, I'm not going to I'm not going to drag you to water and force you to drink. I couldn't if I wanted to and I don't really especially want to. But if you really want to understand how these things tie together, you can figure it out. You can. 
The answers are there in the biblical text, and you should look closely. You should study closely and ponder why certain things are told differently in Deuteronomy compared with in the earlier books of the Pentateuch. You should consider that. I'm not going to delve into it in this episode, but what I do want to encourage you to do is go there, right? Go there, particularly if you're coming sometimes with mistaken notions of what's in the text based on what other people have told you. If you've listened to Sunday school teachers, for instance, as a child, or you watched Veggie Tales, or you listened to sermons from pastors that you sat under the teaching of, or that you liked to listen to on YouTube or in a podcast, if you've come to the text with certain ideas or vague recollections of certain things other people told you, be careful that you're not smuggling those into the text and reading things that aren't there. Be really careful. That's why it's important to read these things firsthand. It's good to sit under the teaching of competent teachers who know what they're talking about and they've studied. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't only get that. Also study the text for yourself and really wrestle with whether the things you've been told check out. The Bereans are held up as a example for us in the book of Acts. For instance, the Berean Jews, it is said, sought answers in the biblical text for whether what Paul and Barnabas were preaching, their gospel about Jesus Christ was true. They sought answers in the biblical text. They searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so, and they're commended for it. They're not chided. It is said that they were of a more noble sort than the Jews at Thessalonica because they did this, or they did this because they were of a more noble sort. They're not chided. And you shouldn't be chided either. If you're sitting under teaching or preaching or discipleship and the person who is teaching and preaching and discipling you says, don't go back and check the biblical text to make sure what I'm saying is correct. If you're sitting under that, watch out because you're probably being told some things that are not true and that's not a healthy dynamic. A healthy attitude is the one that Paul displayed. It's the one that the book of Acts is written from a healthy attitude. We'll see the servant of the Lord encouraging you to, or at bare minimum, not chiding you for it, not suggesting there's something warped and twisted and untoward about you going and seeking confirmation in the biblical biblical text. A healthy attitude will at least not see you being chided, but it really should see you being praised as of a more noble sort, really, truly. But here's some thoughts, right? Here are some thoughts to consider in relation to the Ten Commandments. And I want you to be thinking about this with having quite probably been told for years, if you're a Christian in America, you've probably been told for years that the law is by and large our enemy or it's outdated or that was old covenant and we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. We have the new covenant and therefore We don't need to study the law. We don't need to take it seriously. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to ponder it, meditate on it. Best to not go there in the preaching and teaching schedules of many churches because it's just going to drudge up all kinds of problems with legalism and debates about what still applies and what doesn't. And far too many, far, far too many leaders in the mainstream of American evangelicalism have for years neglected the Ten Commandments and the Pentateuch more broadly because some of the things that are there are hard for them to explain or inconvenient or scary or dangerous to talk about. Just like in years past, we've seen, and this has been some years ago at this point, but we've seen Ten Commandments monuments removed from courthouses and other public places, legislatures, and schools across the country We've seen the people who are adamant about the secularization and an anti-Christian vision of America's future. They have campaigned, they've insisted, they've demanded that Ten Commandments monuments that are made to look like the tablets of stone in public places. We've seen those campaigns proceed apace, largely unchecked, and so also the sentiment driving the removal of those Ten Commandments monuments, I would say is also driving a lot of leaders in the mainstream of American evangelical Christianity 
to similarly just not go there. They just don't talk about the Ten Commandments. They just don't want to talk about the Pentateuch. They don't want to talk about the Old Testament generally unless they absolutely have to. But here's the question, right? Here's the question for you to ponder before we get into some current events items that I want to bring to your attention in this episode. Which of these 10 can the Christian do and then say, I'm under grace? Don't tell me to stop. Which of these 10 commandments can the Christian do and it's no big deal to God anymore because we're in Christ? How about hmm, having other gods before God? Can a Christian who is in Christ worship other gods, true or false? Is that no big is that no biggie? Is that no big deal to God? Is he good with that? Is he good with the Christian who's under grace, who's in Christ, supposedly, worshiping other gods as well, alongside Yahweh God? Uh, no. The answer is no. If that's what you had written down, that's correct. Anything else, and you need to go back to the drawing board. Uh, how about making for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything? Now, this is a difficult one, right? This is a difficult one. In part because we make statues all the time. We have all kinds of statues all over the place, in part because of the legacy of the Greeks and the Romans. They were big into statuary. And some Christians throughout the last two millennia have at various times really objected to images of Jesus and God, for instance, especially, but also of even the apostles and various biblical scenes. They've objected to those images being portrayed in mosaic or in paintings or in statues, or in flannel graphs, maybe even, or on the big screen. And they've said, this is potentially a violation of not making a graven image, that command. Don't make any carved image or any likeness of anything. And what's interesting here is, it's not just don't make a statue or an image of Yahweh your God. It's anything that is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water So that would be all of the things that we're going to be familiar with. Don't, don't, don't bow down to them. Don't serve them. Oh, wait a second. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So is that the distinction? There's been debate about that, but there hasn't been really much debate, or at least I wouldn't put any stock in one side of this debate if there have been people saying it's okay to bow down and serve carved images. What this is talking about is idols. Right, it's talking about idols that you worship as a god. So if you don't have an idol, it's still a big problem to God for you to have other gods before him. If you do have a carved statue of your god, that is a big deal to God. Right, That is also important. If you have other gods before God, but you don't have any statues, you don't have any images, that's still not okay. God knows. right? God knows what's in your heart and what's in your mind with regards to that. But if you say, oh, yeah, but I'm not really worshiping this in my head and in my heart, but I have the statues here, I have all the imagery, ah, well, wait a second, right? That could be you trying to be very clever and you are engaging in this false worship, still a problem. And it shouldn't be a problem only to God. It should also be a problem when we observe that in one another's lives. So both ends, right? Both end, you are checked and prohibited from false worship, from idolatry, whether it's an internal thing or it's an external thing, both and are a problem to God. And God says, don't, you shall not, you shall have no, you shall not make, don't do it. You shall not bow down. You shall not serve them. Don't do it. How about taking the name of Yahweh, your God in vain? Can the Christian do that? Should the Christian do that? And then say, oh, but I'm in Christ and grace, grace, grace that is greater than all my sins. Don't tell me to stop using the name of the Lord in vain. What is that even, actually? Is that just saying the name of the Lord in a casual, flippant way as a curse word when you stub your toe? Is that what that's describing? That's what a lot of us think of. But actually, I've heard a very interesting, very thought-provoking alternative explanation that what this is really, really getting at is a false piety. Who did Jesus Christ reserve his most stern rebukes for in the gospel accounts? Those who were exhibiting a public false piety. They were hypocrites. They were blind guides. 
whitewashed tombs, sons of Satan, a brood of vipers, all kinds of very, very strongly worded denunciations are there in the gospel accounts to give us something of a fleshing out, literally and figuratively, of this commandment, to not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Now, some have carried this too far, and they have said, well, we don't even want to say the name of Yahweh, lest we would say it in vain. And that's not what God said. God didn't say, don't even use the name of Yahweh, lest you use it in vain. What he said was, don't use it in vain, for Yahweh will not hold guiltless who takes his name in vain. So this is actually, I would say, a very stern warning for those who flippantly, in a mercenary fashion, try to employ the name of Yahweh for their own schemes, for their own ambitions. They're using false piety to defraud others, to abuse others, to manipulate others. Woe to them. Woe to them. They should be warned. They will not be held guiltless by God. Yahweh himself finds them guilty. He takes his name very seriously. A name is short for a person, and insofar as we would use the name of Yahweh in a frivolous way, in an irreverent way, we are disrespecting God, we're dishonoring God, and we are potentially leading others into grave error that could be fatal. It could separate them from Yahweh, their God, forever. And so this is where Paul says in the New Testament, not many of you should be teachers. For we know that those who teach will be held to a higher standard. I believe that's absolutely impermissible for the Christian to use the name of Yahweh in a casual way, in a vain way, in a disrespectful way. It's not okay. And really, as with all of these, if you are a Christian, if you're in Christ, you don't want to, right? You don't want to do that. And if you want to do that, but you're claiming you're a Christian, you're claiming you're a brother in Christ and you refuse to be corrected, well then at a certain point, you should just be not just warned, you should be put out of fellowship because you are not acting like a Christian. You're not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. You might not even be a Christian, actually. It's possible. God knows. How about observing the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Now, for most of the last 2,000 years of church history, this has been understood as acceptably substituted instead of a Saturday Sabbath, as the Jews observed, many Christians have said, Sunday's also a seventh day. Ah, but it's not, though. Actually, technically, Sunday is the first day of the week, technically speaking. And we should be careful, right? We should be careful that we not tinker with, fiddle with, in an arbitrary fashion, what God has commanded. If you're going to keep the Sabbath day, it should actually be the Sabbath. It should be the seventh day, in my view. Now, the Lord's day, that's a fine day to rest. And so I think this is, from my understanding of the history of it, why we have typically Saturday and Sunday off. That's why they're the weekend. But really, you know, technically, Saturday is the weekend. Sunday is the week beginning. Something to think about there. And yet, can the Christian just totally ignore this? Well, it's complicated. And why I say it's complicated is because Jesus and his disciples were called out by the religious leaders, the hypocrites, in the gospel accounts for not observing the Sabbath as was thought proper. And the response from Jesus was that man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And why is that relevant? When God himself rested on the seventh day after creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them in six days? Well, God is infinite. He didn't need to rest because he was tired. He was setting an example for us, just like Christ sets the example for us. His incarnation is not just to get glory for God. It's not just to provide an atoning sacrifice to restore us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's also to set an example. So also God resting on the seventh day after six days of creation is setting an example. And so there is some wiggle room. There is some room for negotiation with regards to this, but you should be resting. You should be resting. If God's promising a blessing with the Sabbath day, and he's also making this a very social thing, it's a very others conscious thing, 
that you would rest every seventh day. And also, oh, by the way, your servants need to be able to rest. It shouldn't be that the master of the house is kicking his feet up and then everybody else has to wait on him hand and foot because he needs to rest. You know, He needs a Sabbath. Everybody else, whoosh, whoosh, back to work. Get me some grapes. Feed them to me while this one fans me. No, 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 no. In part, I think this is commanded because otherwise the tendency is for the person who has the wealth and the means and the authority to kick their feet up on a regular basis and to drive others all the harder because, well, if they're going to rest, they need everybody else to pick up the pace and pick up the slack. God is saying, no, no, no. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Why is that relevant? It's relevant because if you have servants, male servants, female servants, you shouldn't depress them. You shouldn't mistreat them. You shouldn't abuse them. You shouldn't run them ragged because you once also were a servant. And remember how it felt to be mistreated, abused, oppressed. Don't make other people feel that way. That's not loving your neighbor as you love yourself, is it? Of course not. How about honoring your father and your mother as Yahweh your God commanded you? Should the Christian pay that no heed? How about murder? Can the Christian go around committing murder and then say, ah, but it's all under the blood of Christ? No, 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 no. No. That's, if nothing else is, that's working lawlessness. God will not be mocked. The man reaps what he sows. Somebody who claims Christ and they're also a murderer and they're unrepentant and they just go on like that. They're also guilty of taking the name of the Lord in vain, clearly. How about committing adultery? You shall not commit adultery. Does this one apply? Is this one still relevant for Christians? Of course it is. How about you shall not steal? Should the Christian be stealing and then saying, well, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? No, 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 by no means. How about bearing false witness against your neighbor? Well, let's test it. If you're bearing false witness against your neighbor, but Jesus says the second command is like the first, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, And when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that is one of the commandments of Jesus because the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory as of the only son from the father. Jesus commanded to not bear false witness against our neighbor, which is to say, not just lying, it's slander and libel. When you try to damage someone else's reputation, you're not loving them well. Now, if you're saying true things that happen to be negative about them because you're calling them to account because they've broken these other commandments, that's different. That's not bearing false witness. That's bearing a true witness. They might not like it. Other people in the community might not find that very positive and encouraging, but that's not what is being prohibited. In fact, you have to, you have to bring faithful testimony into a court of law if you hear that there is a public call for testimony and witnesses who have seen, who have known, to speak. Step forward, please speak. State your name. Place your right hand on the Bible. Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. In those kinds of circumstances, if you're lying to try and destroy somebody else, you are breaking this commandment, and you still are in sin, even if you say, oh, I'm a Christian, though. The fact is, if you are indeed in Christ, you're not going to want to do that. And somebody who claims to be a Christian, and yet behaves like that is proving themselves false. They should repent, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. How about coveting, right? Coveting, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, donkey, anything, anything. Is that one still in effect? Absolutely. Because one day you're coveting and then the next day you're trying to scheme to destroy his reputation so you can get his stuff or get his wife or get his servants or get his house. One day you're bearing false witness and then the next day you're murdering him and you're stealing. And it all comes back to really, in the end, the coveting, which only God knows for sure, unless you openly admit it, only God knows for sure whether you're coveting anything that belongs to your neighbor. But that is to say, God knows and God is prohibiting it. He's saying, don't do it. In short, I would say all of these still bear mention and they still bear study and reflection and meditation. And if we find that we are in sin relative to any of these 10 commandments, 
even if it's just accidentally. We didn't realize, but now in looking at it and considering our own hearts and what we've been doing, how we've been living, how we've been relating, we realize we are guilty. Yes, there's grace, but not grace that we might sin all the more or continue in sin. By no means, Paul says. Let's talk about some items in the news, though. And let's keep the Ten Commandments in mind as we proceed through a look at some election cycle, 2024 presidential race-related news. Alex Nitzberg over at TheBlaze.com has a piece up from June 29th of this year. Another gaffe, Biden botches reference to America's founding documents. During an interview with MSNBC's Nicole Wallace, President Joe Biden referenced part of the Declaration of Independence while erroneously suggesting that he was referring to the Constitution. The mistake was just one in a long line of errors committed by the Democratic politician and self-admitted gaffe machine. More than once recently, Biden has mistakenly mentioned Iraq when he was speaking about Ukraine. For example, a White House transcript of remarks from earlier this week was struck through in his mention of Iraq and added Ukraine in brackets. At the end of the interview with Wallace, Biden could be seen walking off the set before the show went to commercial, which is a faux pas. It's not a big deal to me. It's not the end of the world. I could see doing something like that, to be honest. I could see something like that happening to me. And once you start getting up to walk away, it would be more embarrassing to stop and sit back down. But it is funny. I mean, it is slightly amusing that the very thing that Wallace says as he is walking behind her and off the set is, don't go anywhere. But she's saying that to the audience. Meanwhile, the president of the United States is uh, wandering off. It's funny. You know, it's almost as if she was thinking, don't, don't do this, President Biden. And he did it anyways, of course. Biden, the oldest president in U.S. history, is currently running for re-election. If he clinches the Democratic presidential nomination and goes on to win the 2024 general election, he would be 86 years old by the end of his second term in office. Why this matters, why it's important is you have in Joe Biden, a man who is clearly not all there, but because he is letting the radical left get what they want, do what they want, say what they want, he's allowing the radical left a free hand in the bureaucratic state and in the corporate media, because he's buying them time to try and go after political opponents, not just politicians, not just very famous people, but also average American citizens, because legal plunder is being enacted under the Biden administration, vis-a-vis Frederick Bastiat's The Law and what socialists routinely do, what they always do, and it's in their nature, it's in the nature of their political philosophy to do, because Biden is allowing legal plunder and he is buying the radical left more time to plunder their adversaries and to fleece the American public, they want to keep him around. They want to keep him in office. He's a figurehead at this point. He couldn't do it on his own. But why it's important is, regardless of my disagreements with him politically, it's not responsible. It's not right that he is as advanced in age and as unwell, unfit for office mentally, and yet is going to be put up again and is, they hope, potentially going to serve for another four years. It's not responsible. It reveals what we otherwise could have said uh, without such an illustration. It reveals the selfishness of the left, the irresponsibility of the left. It reveals a certain contempt for the American people and for those who look to us for an example around the world and hope that we will be a shining city on the hill and stand up to bullies and stand up to tyrants and stand up to villains. Joe Biden being in the White House right now, much less another four years starting in 2024, is indicative of the contempt that corrupt leftists have for the world and everybody in it. It's just plain selfishness. This is not loving others well. When I'm 86, provided I live that long, saying the kinds of things I say on this podcast, being as honest, the Lord is fully capable of, if it pleases him, preserving me 
to the ripe old age of 86. If I'm at 86 years old and I am in the mental state, the physical state that Joe Biden clearly is, boy, howdy, I really hope I have handed off leadership and authority to not even just one generation down, probably two generations down by that point. You know, just think about this. My oldest son, Josiah David Mullet, was born to my wife and I when we were 20, which is to say if our oldest son gets married and has a son at 20, I'll be 40 years old when I'm a grandfather. If that son, hypothetically, were to also get married at 20 and have a son, I would be a great-grandfather at 60. If that son, or great-grandson, I suppose at that point, were to also get married and have a son at 20, I could be a great-great-grandfather with a six-year-old great-great-grandson by 86, the age that Joe Biden would be if he serves a second term to its completion. I could be a great-great-grandfather. And so it's really not just that he is still running, he's in office as a figurehead. It's not just that that is objectionable here. It's the lack of cultivation of the next generation or the lack of trust in the next generation or the lack of love for future generations that's being demonstrated. It's a vanity project and it is selfishness and it is inexcusable ultimately that he is running again, that he's in there even right now, but that he's running again and that the left is going to do all that they can. They will pull out every stop, just watch, to get him across the finish line and get him for as long as they possibly can. That's why he takes so many vacations. That's why he starts so late in the day and stops working so early in the day because it's not really him and they just want to keep him around as long as they possibly can because they're milking his administration for all the time they can get to continue to plunder legally, if at all possible, but even if it's just illegally and district attorneys, the Justice Department, intelligence agencies will run interference for lawless behavior happening. Well, that's all right too. If they get another four plus years of that kind of racket, it's um, not bad. There's a lot they could do. A lot of damage they could do, but a lot of profit that they could glean keeping it up. But just think with me about the Ten Commandments in relation to what the left is for. How many of those Ten Commandments do they routinely break and violate with impunity? They're not just the ones who want so often to purge any references to the Ten Commandments from public spaces. They're also the ones who, not coincidentally, consistently violate and systematize violations of the Ten Commandments. So God says, don't have any other gods before me. And what do they do? They multiply gods in the land and actually suppress true and faithful worship and obedience to Yahweh God. They go after those who take obedience to God seriously. They haul them into court. They try to destroy their reputations. They try to destroy their businesses. They try to destroy their ability to function or even speak in society or organize or assemble in society. They did it in 2020, and they will keep on trying to do it all the ways that they can possibly manage to. God says, don't use my name in vain. I will not hold guiltless those who use my name in vain. And what do Democrats consistently, routinely do, like it's breathing? If they make any reference, any pretense to Christian religion, they try to employ God talk, rhetoric that is Christianese to support their other violation of God's commands. There are other disobediences. There are other flagrant rebellions against God. God says, don't steal. And what do the Democrats routinely do? They paper over looting and rioting so long as it advances social justice, so long as it advances the cause of the left, so long as it keeps Democrats in power or gets them into office, stealing is just fine. Totally all right. And how dare you? How dare you object? God says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. The Democrats routinely, like it's breathing, bear false witness against conservatives, 
and Christians in this country, they routinely bear false witness against their political enemies. They routinely bear false witness against the character of this country, trying to convince us, trying to brainwash us and the rest of the world into believing that we are an inherently racist, oppressive society and we'll continue on being until they've purged every last vestige of Western civilization and Christian faith from the public square. God says, thou shalt not murder. And it's part of the Democratic Party platform that thou shalt support abortion on demand without restriction and force taxpayers to subsidize it. God says, thou shalt not murder. The Democrat Party says, you will either murder your unborn child with our help or dare not object when we want to murder our children. God says, thou shalt not covet. And the whole socialist program is predicated on legal covetousness. Wanting what someone else has, whatever it is, and then throwing a tantrum until the laws are changed to allow you to take from that other person and give to your friends or give to yourself. Or at least I don't want that person to have it even if I can't have it. I'd rather nobody has any of that than that someone else has something I don't have. Oppression, oppression. Okay, now you're bearing false witness and you're coveting when you cry oppression because someone else has something you don't have. So there's two. And then if you try to employ God and his name to sanctify your lawlessness, well, now you've broken another commandment because you're bearing false witness against your neighbor and bearing false witness against the character of God. Man, you guys are on a roll, you Democrats. God says, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. And what do the Democrats do? They try to stoke resentment between generations, between parents and children. They try to get children to be disobedient and dishonoring towards their parents if that's what it takes to get those children to grow up and vote Democrat and support leftist causes. Routinely, Marxists have done this all over the world. Everywhere they are able to get a foothold and agitate for Marxist revolution, they've routinely employed children against their own parents. If they can get your children and they can educate your children in their schools, if they can indoctrinate your children in Marxist ideology and convince your children that your children are oppressed and you are the oppressor, It's a hop, skip, and a jump away to terrifying and horrifying you by getting your child to turn on you and be your chief opponent, your chief neutralization agent. And the Democrats do it here too. They do it through teachers' unions. They do it through popular culture. They do it through popular music and popular movies and popular TV shows. They do it through advertising. And increasingly, they're trying to do it through the laws of various states and localities to pit Not just brother against brother, but child against parent, if that's what it takes to get political power or hold on to political power. So it's no wonder that the same Democrats want to get Ten Commandments, monuments, and references out of the public square, out of the places where the people would be reminded what God has commanded. It's no wonder. Of course they want the Ten Commandments monuments out. Of course, they don't want the churches to be preaching on the law of God and how God's standard, his commands are good. Now, we don't measure up, but that doesn't mean you become lawless. That doesn't mean that you let go and let God and say, the ideal for the Christian is sin, that grace might abound all the more. These things go together because they're of a piece with a rejection of the goodness of God, a refusal to be imitators of God, a refusal to submit to and obey and to trust and to love God. Why? Because these leftist agitators want you to see them as God. That's really what it boils down to. And it's satanic. It's satanic and woe to them. Repent, repent, repent. Judgment is nigh. Repent. Or at bare minimum, Stand back. Stand back. Don't be standing too close because judgment is nigh. In other news, though, let's talk on a more positive note about some other potentials, some other possibilities. 
Daily Wire News, June 29th, 2023, has a post up, a report. DeSantis signals as president he'll have new rules of engagement for Mexican drug cartels. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said during an interview this week that as president of the United States, he'll have a new set of rules of engagement when dealing with Mexican cartels who are trying to smuggle drugs into the U.S. through the southern border. DeSantis made the remarks Thursday evening during an interview with Fox News' Jesse Waters when asked about his recent trip to the U.S.-Mexico border while visiting the state of Texas. Quote, after seeing what's going on down there, has that changed your opinion of immigration? Waters asked. Lest I, when I could play the audio for you, just read the whole back and forth to you, why don't I go ahead and do that? I'll go ahead and play for you cut one here of DeSantis sitting down with Jesse Waters over at Fox News and discussing this business. Here it is. Take a listen. Cut one. I was literally in a place in Arizona. There's a piece of wall that it just kind of stops. So the guy just goes on the other side of where the wall ends, look out. He just motions for people to go. There's no border patrol to be found. They're in town processing people. And so they're bringing product into our country. They're killing a lot of people. So one of the things that we, what I saw, the places where there were barriers, the cartels will actually cut through the steel beams and they'll smuggle in backpacks with a lot of drugs. So what I said is, wait a minute. We defend the territory of our own country. We'll have military, we'll have everyone down there. If you are in the cartels cutting through our fence to bring drugs in, that's going to be the last thing you do because we're going to leave you stone cold dead. We are having adequate rules of engagement. Mm. <clears throat> did he stutter? Did, did you catch that? Did you? Did you? <laughs> Let me see if I can process what I just heard. If you're trying to break into this country illegally, you're a member of one of these drug cartels. You're trying to cut through the barriers that we have to keep you out of our country. You're trying to cut through them. What are we going to do? We're going to shoot you. What a what a novel concept. Huh. What an idea. What what a novel concept. Hmm. Let's let's think about this, okay? Let's just let's go slow because we don't want to, you know, get lost. Let's think about this. If I, as head of my household, as the man of the house, father, husband, if I catch someone trying to cut through the wall of the house to get in, and I see that they are armed, they've got a backpack on, I don't know what they've got in the backpack, but they're trying to break into my house. I haven't invited them in. I didn't welcome them in. In fact, I've put notice out. Hey, you can't come into my house without permission. In fact, I don't even need to put notice out because that's just standard fare, right? That's just the way it works. When you have a house, you get to decide who comes in and out. And when people come in who are hostile or their motives are unclear, but you have a reason to believe that they have bad motives, they're there to harm, they're there to steal, to rob, to rape, to assault, to murder your people, you know. It's expected that I will protect my household. I'll protect my wife and my kids, my person, my property. If they're trying to cut a hole in the side of my house to get into my house without going through the front door, without knocking, without ringing the doorbell, without asking for permission, without introducing themselves, without giving me the reason why they want to come into my house, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do exactly what... Ron DeSantis is describing here, not because he is describing doing that on our southern border with Mexico, but because that's the responsible thing to do. We are both alike saying in these kinds of circumstances, the appropriate response is you shoot that person. They should know better. And even if they claim that they don't know better, well, these days when we've got this administration ushering people in and saying, oh, we're going to process them and then we'll just distribute them all over the country and give them court dates, but then maybe they show up, maybe they don't show up. And so they're just here in that kind of a system. It won't take long if there's a new sheriff in town who says, no, 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 not doing that anymore. We stop you at the border. And if you don't stop, well, we shoot you. It won't take long before that becomes 
a reason to just not do it. And that's the big idea. The big idea is not to shoot people. I don't want to shoot people trying to break into my house. But then if people reasonably suppose trying to break into my house is going to get them shot, then they'll probably just save both them and me the trouble. That's the hope, right? And that's the hope too with regards to what DeSantis is saying here too. But you can't threaten it and then not be willing to follow through. And these drug cartels in Mexico and in Central America and in South America, they're no joke. So these are not babies. They're not innocent, little, helpless (laughs) pilgrims. These are face tattoos on face tattoos, vicious, ruthless, murderous thugs we're talking about when we're talking about Mexican drug cartels, what DeSantis is prescribing. That's how you protect the American people. And what we're getting across the Southern border is an invasion. It's malicious. It's predatory. And what do you do with predators? You shoot them. If you don't want your people being preyed on, what do you do if you don't mind actually your people being preyed on because it's politically advantageous or it's economically advantageous to you? What do you not do? You don't protect your people. You protect the predators. And that's what has been happening. It needs to stop happening. DeSantis, former Navy SEAL, is exactly right. He appreciates that we need to get on board with that. 100%. 100%. 100% agree with this answer on securing the southern border. Use guns. Don't just have guns present. No, have guns and use them on these violent criminals who are trying to get into the country. Stop them dead in their tracks, and then tell their buddies, hey, here you go, come collect, take them back for a proper burial, and then they'll stop. That's how you get them to stop. Another recent bit of reporting regarding Ron DeSantis from Harris Rigby over at Not The Bee, we've got a highlight of an NBC News tweet with the caption from June 29th, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says, he would seek to abolish the Departments of Education, Commerce, and Energy, as well as the IRS. He would eliminate four federal agencies if elected president. To that, I say, let's shake on it. (laughs) You promise? (laughs) We don't need a federal Department of Education. The federal Department of Education was the idea of progressive teachers' unions. It takes decision-making about education away from states away from counties, away from cities and townships. Ultimately, it takes decision-making about education away from parents. We don't need a Department of Education. We could spend a lot more on education. We could be a lot more creative, a lot more innovative with regards to education without the Department of Education. Decentralize education. Please and thank you. Yes. We don't need a Department of Commerce trying to fiddle with the economy. We need the government to protect small business owners, individual employees from being defrauded, from being abused, from being abusive. But you don't need a Department of Commerce for that. You need a Department of Justice for that. You need Congress, both houses of the legislative branch at the federal level, passing good laws, striking down bad laws. We need governors, and mayors and sheriffs who are going to enforce the laws of their states. We need a Department of Justice that is actually going to do justice. We don't need a Department of Commerce. We don't need a Department of Energy. What we need is to do justice with regards to those who are trying to decommission power plants, who are putting the whole nation's power grid at terrible jeopardy. That's what we need to go after, not a Department of Energy that tries to tinker with environmentalism and anti-capitalism and abolishing the free market. But here's the write-up from Harris Rigby. The evil bad dictator is going to dismantle multiple arms of the administrative state and shrink the size of government while regulating our lives less. What a totalitarian. Man, (laughs) if, if that is tyranny... Sign me up. That sounds great. That sounds fantastic. A quote from the NBC News article. 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said Wednesday that if he is elected president, he would seek to close four federal agencies as part of an effort to reduce the size of government. Quote, we would do education, we would do commerce, we'd do energy, and we would do IRS, DeSantis said in an interview with Fox News' Martha McCollum when he was asked whether he favored closing any agencies. Again, again, again. Sounds great. Here's another quote. If Congress will work with me on doing that, we'll be able to reduce the size and scope of government. If Congress won't go that far, I'm going to use those agencies to push back against woke ideology and against the leftism that we see creeping into all institutions of American life. Quote, we need to fundamentally reconstitutionalize the government, DeSantis said Wednesday. Quote, we talked about draining the swamp in 2016. That didn't happen. I think the better analogy is breaking the swamp. End quote. Again, great, great stuff. And lest we suppose that it's just rhetoric, look at what he has done in the state of Florida. The guy's not all talk. I believe he can do a lot, a lot, a lot of good. If this is a promise, and if he'll keep the promise, compare that with leftists run amok in unaccountable government bureaucracies that can violate your rights, your liberties, take your property, take away your freedom, take away your children if they get half the chance. Compare those things and Ron DeSantis is the pick all day, every day. If you say, "What? wait, wait, there needs to be some oversight, right? Over education, over commerce. There needs to be some ability to collect taxes. This could be done at a state level. It should be done at a state level. And part of the reason I know that is because when a state agency or a state entity is responsible for it and they are doing it wrong, they're close at hand to be held accountable, unlike federal agencies that can be across the country, can be thousands of miles away. It's not that simple to just drop everything one week and drive over to Washington, D.C. so you can make sure the people tinkering with your life hear from you. But the state capitol, that's a different story. You might be able to take the afternoon off and show up to something. You have a chance of getting somebody removed at a state level if this is handled at a state level in a way that you just don't. You simply don't have when it's a federal level. Also, too, oh, by the way, if these things are being handled differently from state to state, this is part of how people are protected, that if you don't like California, you can move. If you don't like New York, you can move. For that matter, if you don't like Florida, you can move. But what I see people doing under Ron DeSantis is moving to Florida. I don't see a lot of people moving away from Florida. Florida seems to be affirming how Ron DeSantis would govern the United States of America just based on how many people have been voting with their feet and moving to Florida. So I say, again, yes. I vote yes. But let's go back to the interview with Jesse Waters, and we'll touch on another piece here of what Ron DeSantis is laying out in the way of a vision for what he would do, what his administration would do if elected to the presidency in 2024. DeSantis indicates as president, his DOJ will go after elites who've played by different rules. I've got it queued up. I'll play for you cut two here of that interview. Here it is. Take a listen. When you see Hunter get away with tax fraud and you see all this money flying into the family bank accounts and all these lies being told by the president, if you ever to become president, would you have an attorney general that would look into these crimes? We are going to have one standard of justice. And right now, if you are connected to the D.C. ruling class, you get a pass on a lot of conduct. If Hunter were a Republican, he would have been in jail a long time ago. And so there's not going to be any preferential treatment for these people. If they've committed crimes, uh, they are going to have to live under the same set of laws that the rest of us have to. Yes, 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 yes. And what that will do, ladies and gentlemen, what that will do is it will restore a respect for justice. It will restore a respect for the rule of law when the law is not partial towards those who are great, nor partial towards those who are perceived to be poor or vulnerable. The law is not supposed to be partial. 
the law is supposed to equally protect and equally apply penalties to those who are under the law. It is appropriate for us to have law and government. Romans 13, in the New Testament, not the law of Moses, in the New Testament, says that the governing authority is a minister of God, a minister of God. This is part of common grace, as it's commonly known. Special grace would be you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, there's conversion, there's regeneration, there's justification, there's sanctification in your life, in your heart and soul and mind, and that works itself out into a blessed arrangement between you and God, between you and your fellow man. But then there's common grace where God sends his reins on the just and the unjust, on the wicked and the righteous, the wise and the foolish. Civil authority is supposed to be a minister of God to reward those who do what is good, which is to say also to protect those who are doing what is right, what they have a right to do, what they should be free to do is what is right to do, is what is good to do, especially what God has called them to, what God has commanded them to do. But the other core function, the the other core purpose, according to the Apostle Paul, of government as instituted by God, as authorized by God, the other core function is to punish those who do what is evil. That's justice. Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Love mercy, absolutely. Walk humbly with your God, but do justice. is not at odds with loving mercy. It's not at odds with walking humbly with your God. If you are walking humbly with God, you will do justice. If you are walking humbly with your God, you will be loving mercy. Loving mercy also actually requires that you do justice. Because if you love mercy, you will want to show mercy to those who are being downtrodden because they are not part of that inner circle in Washington, D.C., for instance. For example, if you love mercy, you will have mercy on those who are being oppressed by those who claim they are here to abolish oppression. If you love mercy, you're going to put a stop to so-called social justice, which is really just socialism and an injustice. Tacking on social to the beginning makes it not biblical justice. But DeSantis is exactly right. If Hunter were a Republican, and this is a quote, he would have been in jail a long time ago. That is to say, Hunter should be in jail or at bare minimum, he should be charged. He should be in court. He should have due process, absolutely. But what we have seen to this point has not been due process. The corporate media has seen to that. Social media giants have seen to that. The deep state has seen to that. Biden's administration has seen to that. The Democrats have seen to that. What we have seen to this point is not due process. It's an injustice. But in the interest of having this be a shorter podcast episode, and actually I'm going to be trying to have shorter podcast episodes moving forward here, I've noticed in the last year I have really crept up. And there are reasons, right? There are reasons why the average length of a podcast episode has crept up And if I can spare a moment of your time, I'll tell you them briefly. One, I went through the whole business with bringing light to the improprieties, indiscretions, and the sins, very real sins, of a certain J.D. Hall from Sydney, Montana. I helped to bring justice to the situation. And that was hard, and that was difficult, and it was frustrating at many points, It was very disturbing and disheartening, but it really required some longer episodes to deal with some of the issues surrounding why it was necessary, because I was hearing some very prominent voices in the discernment ministry, blogosphere, and podcasting scene running interference or trying to make excuses, trying to exonerate themselves really from the downfall of J.D. Hall and I needed to respond to those voices in a way that set the record straight. For one, about their being complicit to that point in the rise and fall of Jordan Hall. And I also needed, for the sake of my own conscience and for the sake of people who listen to me, I needed to make especially clear what differentiates me from those characters. And that required 
longer podcast episodes as I saw it. Following close on the heels of that business was conflict with my cousin, Tim Mullet, and his Bible Bashed podcast, which has since that time joined Protestia over and against my warnings and objections. And so, yes, I took some time to deal with that because it was striking close to home and it needed to be addressed. Following that, there was some upsetting business regarding my mother and Hurricane Ian in Fort Myers, Florida. Her home being hit just a mile from Sanibel Island, her moving to Colorado. There were things to sort out with that. And then I changed jobs. I went from a week on, a week off schedule to working Monday through Friday and the occasional weekend. And I started podcasting less often and I had less time to write. And as a consequence, one of the things that I started doing is recording fewer episodes, but longer episodes of this podcast. And it crept up. A year ago, the average podcast episode length was something like an hour and four minutes, about where we're at right now, time-wise. And in talking with my wife and in talking with some others, it has become clear to me that out of consideration for my audience, so as to not give people so much that it overwhelms them at any one sitting or they just despair of being able to finish a podcast episode that they start, I am going to make an effort to scale back my average length of podcast episode from where it is right now at one and three quarters hours on average, some longer, some shorter. I'm going to try and scale that back to an hour moving forward. There might be the occasional episode where, yep, to deal with this topic as it needs to be, I need to have a longer episode. But I think if I have the time to record two episodes right now, I should just do that. Instead of one long episode, I should have two shorter episodes. And you can tackle whichever one seems best to you, whichever one would be most helpful to you is really what I would hope. And if you don't get to the other one and you didn't need to, fine, that's great. But I know what it is to not finish audiobooks, for instance, or not finish listening to long form content online that I like. I like it. It's good stuff, but I don't have time to finish it or I don't get back to it in time. It's not a good feeling. And it's also not necessary. You know, if I've got two or three episodes worth of content, maybe I break that out. I, I break that out into two or three episodes for your sake, because I want to be considerate to you. And I want you to get as much out of this podcast as you possibly can, not be overwhelmed, not be frustrated. I don't want you to choke on it. I want you to be able to digest what it is that's being said and come back. You know, if you want to come back for seconds or come back for another episode later in the week or next week or next month or whatever, you can come back and get more targeted, more narrowly focused content a little bit at a time. But all of that is to say, I'm going to leave it there for this episode. This next one, I hope to get into the article over at postliberal.com in defense of culture war. I keep saying I'm hoping to get to it, but then other topics are coming up and that's all right. That's okay. Bear with me. We'll get to it at some point here eventually. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.